Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Julie, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to give a special welcome to any of you who are new or visiting with us today. We're just always so glad to have you join us. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and we will jump in. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in praise and in worship that we get together to celebrate you and to remember that you are worthy of praise, that you have shown us your great love and that you've been faithful to everything you've promised us. So Lord, we come to you uh, with gratitude this morning and just praise you for this time to worship together. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I want to know how many of you have ever seen the redwood trees in real life? There's a few of you. It's definitely something that's on my bucket list. These trees are some of the largest and tallest trees in the world. And my actually my first uh, exposure to them or first learning about them came through a video game called Cruisin' the USA. I don't know if anyone else played this as a kid. I played it on my brother's Nintendo 64. Um, I know that they also had like an arcade game version that you could play if you went somewhere that had games. Uh, and I was this the route of this game. I mean, it's a race car game. So you're driving through like different cities in the US. And when you drove through the Redwood Forest, it was like the hardest level to beat. <laughs> because if you ran into a tree, your car just like bounced backwards because these trees are massive. And apparently in video game world, even cars can't touch them. I don't know if that's actually true, but uh, that was what I knew of the Redwood trees from this video game. And the crazy thing to me about these trees is that they are so massive and so strong, and yet their roots actually only go down about 6 to 12 feet. So these trees, they can reach over 350 feet in height, and their roots are only 6 to 12 feet. That seemed crazy to me. And the these trees, they're huge, and yet they withstand strong winds, earthquakes, fires, storms, and even prolonged flooding. And the way that they do that is that instead of their roots growing down, like most trees, their roots actually grow outward. So their roots can grow up to 100 feet, 100 feet outwards to the side, and they intertwine with all of the other redwood tree roots around them. So together, these redwoods have this system of roots that gives them stability, it gives them strength, and it allows them to stay centered as they grow crazy tall. And I think this is a great metaphor for our topic today, which Joel mentioned, is community. So today we're going to be talking about what it looks like to live life with other people and in the context of friendship. And if you've been with us so far, you know that in this series, we've been kind of talking, we've been looking at Psalm 23 and talking about what it looks like to walk with the Good Shepherd. And we've been talking through different practices that you can do as a part of that, some being Sabbath or prayer or silence or scripture meditation. And a lot of these things that we've been talking about probably sound pretty individual. Even the psalm itself it sounds very personal and very individual, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But the thing about sheep and the thing about the Psalms is that they're usually in the context of community. 
Sheep are rarely found by themselves unless they're lost, which Joel kind of mentioned earlier. This psalm is actually considered one that's looking at a sheep that might be lost. But overall, sheep are herd animals, and so they flock together. And while, yes, they individually, they have a shepherd, right? It's their shepherd. It's also the shepherd of the entire flock. Even just the word sheep, right? It's one of those weird words that is always plural. It always sounds plural, even when you're saying a single sheep compared to a flock of sheep. And so it fits nicely with the way that God has made us to live. He's made us to live in community and to follow him in community and to seek his kingdom. That's how we're all wired. So today that's what we're going to take a look at, that we're created to follow Jesus in community and that we are created to seek his kingdom together. And to see this clearly, we're going to start in Genesis 1, which Joel talked about last week if you were here. He talked about what it looks like to be made in God's image and how that impacts our work or our vocation, what we do on a daily basis. And just in the same way that you could say, you know, you are uh, in the image of your parents or your caregivers, that you maybe have similar characteristics, and there might be multiple ways that you are similar to them, there's a lot of different meanings behind what it means to be made in the image of God. And so we're going to look at another aspect of that today. Uh, we're going to look again at Genesis 1, 26 to 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So you might notice in this passage that in the beginning, in that first uh, verse that I have up there, it says, God says, let us make mankind in our image. So why would God use the plural here? To be honest, we're not entirely sure. <laughs> there are different ways that you can read this and different ways that you can understand it. But one thing that we can see when we look at the creation story as a whole is that in the beginning, it talks about the Holy Spirit being there. The Holy Spirit in Genesis 1 verse 2 is hovering over the waters. So he seems to be involved in the creation story. And then in the book of John, one of the books in the New Testament, John says that Jesus is involved somehow in this as well. In John verse 1, 1 through 3, Three, he says, in the beginning was the word, he's talking about Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So somehow, I don't know exactly how or exactly what it looks like, Jesus is also somehow a part of this uh, creation story. And so when we think about God creating us in his image, we see that God himself is in community when he creates. And so in, if we're created in his image, we are created to live in community as well. And if that's you know, kind of a stretch or if, if that's not clear enough, later on in Genesis 2 verse 18, uh, it says, The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. So clearly we are created in the image of God, and that includes being created for community with God and with others. And not only do we see this in scripture, 
but we actually experience it in our own bodies, in the way that God created us as embodied people. I've recently been reading a book, uh, it's not a Christian book, but it's a book on burnout, and it's by uh, Emily and Emilia Nagoski, and one of them has a PhD in behavioral health. And as she's talking about burnout, she's talking a lot about connection and how that can be something that helps us move forward out of that. Here are some of the things that she talks about as a, someone who has a PhD in behavioral health. She talks about how babies can literally die of loneliness itself, even if their other needs are met. So even if they have food and shelter and everything else that they could need to survive, loneliness is a form of starvation. And then she goes on to talk about how even as adults, connection nourishes us in literal physiological ways. It can help regulate our heart rates and our respiration rates. It influences the emotional activation in our brains. It can shift our immune responses to injuries, to wounds, it can change our exposure to stressors and modulate our stress response. So all of that sounds very scientific, but it goes to show that there are things that actually happen in our physical bodies when we are in connection and in community with other people. And they've done a lot of research on this. Uh, you may have heard some of these stats or some of these studies, but they did one really big study where they kind of analyzed a bunch of different ones that happened in different areas around the globe uh, with over 3 million research participants. And they found that social isolation and loneliness increased a person's odds of an early death by 25 to 30%. Or it's another way of saying it is that loneliness has the same impact on mortality as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. <laughs> right? We've all been told, we all know that smoking is bad for us or that smoking can cause problems with our lungs. But do we think about the fact that loneliness can have the same impact as 15 cigarettes a day? And yet, as people in the world, it seems like the common wisdom that we find is that the progression of someone goes from being completely dependent, right? Babies are entirely dependent on their caregivers. They can do nothing for themselves. And we should slowly become more and more independent. We don't need other people. We can do things on our own. And while some of that is true, some of that is a good thing, it isn't the case that we should be 100% independent, right? You might hear people say, like, I don't need anyone, right? I don't need a significant other. I don't need approval from other people. I don't need anybody else to be involved in my life. And some of that's true. You don't need a significant other, and you don't need approval from other people. But you do need social connection. You do need community. It's a part of who we are. It's woven into our DNA. In the book, uh, at the end of that chapter, she's, the author says, no one is complete without other people. To be complete without social connection is to be nourished without food. It's not possible. We're literally created for community with other people. It's not just like a nice added bonus if you have time, but it's something that we need to have in our lives. And God knew this not only when he created us as people, but when he set up his church. The church has never been about buildings or about celebrity pastors. It's not about showing up to be entertained or to learn something for 30 minutes to an hour. The church has always been about a group of people. It's not just a social group, though. It's a group that comes together around a common idea or common mission. 
and that thing is Jesus, the good shepherd himself. In Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples who they think he is. And Peter, always the first to speak up, which is why I, uh, I love him, even though he often puts his foot in his mouth when he does, this time he actually gets it right. He says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You're the one who's coming to save and to restore all of God's people. And Jesus says, you're right. And it's on that confession, that rock, that I am going to build my church. Jesus is going to build his church around a community of people who have allegiance to him. People who know that without him, they have nothing and that in him, they are set free. He wants to build a community around people who believe that he died and rose again so that we could experience new life and who have a common goal of seeing his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. So we are created for community and together in that community, we get to follow Jesus, the good shepherd, and we also get to seek his kingdom uh, to come here on earth. And I think there's a lot of reasons why we get to why seeking Jesus together is a good thing. But one of them, I think, is that we can learn from one another. Uh, again, going back to that idea that a lot of the, the practices we've talked about in this sermon series might seem more individual or personal. Uh, on one hand, you're right. You're probably not going to be spending silence and solitude with other people. Uh, if you manage to figure that out, how to do that, that's impressive. Um, and yet I still think there's a role that community plays in those practices. So I'm not much of a tech person. Uh, and for those of you who make your career in this area, I apologize if this metaphor does not actually land. But from my limited knowledge of what an operating system in a computer or a phone or something like that does, community sort of feels like the operating system of the church. It's not what powers us, right? That's God's grace and the Holy Spirit. But it's something that we do kind of, it's just the context of what we do, right? It's kind of around everything else that happens in the life of the church. What that looks like can ebb and flow depending on what you're doing, but it's always around the different aspects of what we're doing. So let's go back to the silence and solitude example. You're probably not going on a solitude retreat or going to spend some time in silence with other people, but I hope that your community might be some of the reason that you do it in the first place. Maybe they told you, hey, it sounds like you've had a really busy season. Maybe it would be helpful to take some time to get away. And I hope that when you do plan to get away, even if it's just for an hour, that you would ask people in your community to pray for you while you are doing that. And I also hope that when you come back, that you are talking about what God has revealed to you and how, what you experience with him with your community. Because your community might be able to see things that you can't. They might be able to help you process the different things that you learn or that you, maybe feelings that have surfaced during your time with God. And they might be able to help you think through and pray through what it looks like for you to listen to God and to follow the shepherd in those ways. Because when we follow God in the context of community, we can actually help each other figure out how to stay on those right paths that Psalm 23 talks about. And we can also learn from one another. Uh, I'm guessing that as we've walked through these different practices, there are some that you're like, oh yeah, this is really easy for me. I'm really excited to do this one. And others that you may have been like, 
ooh, I've never done that before, or that's just really hard. It's really hard for me to engage in that. I know that's been true of me, and so I'm guessing it's true of you. And if it's true for you, I'm guessing it's true for other people in your community as well. And by being in community, we can learn from the people who may be better at certain practices than we are. Again, it brings us back to the idea of sheep, right? They're herd animals. If you've heard of the idea of herd mentality, they kind of do whatever the rest of the flock is doing. They might be following a leader or following uh, kind of what everyone else is doing. It's like positive peer pressure, kind of in a way. So if a lot of people in your community are practicing Sabbath or really trying to take time to pray uh, or to read scripture, you might be influenced to do that as well. And if you're struggling to figure out how to do it, you can learn from people in your community who might be have an easier time practicing that. I think it's easy for us to think, if I have a question or if I have something I want to learn about, I need to go to the experts, right? The people who have written books and who have big followings and who everybody knows. And that's great. Those people and those books and podcasts, you can learn a lot from them. I learn a lot from them. But sometimes the truth is that there might be people right next to you or in your community who can offer insight and share their experiences, and you can learn from them as well. And the added bonus of that is that you can actually ask them out and get coffee and say, hey, can I learn from you? Can I hear your experience? Or can I troubleshoot with this thing that I'm dealing with with you? Whereas these experts, you can't do that, right? And so I think when we come together and when we try to learn from one another, we can better sharpen each other in our ways of following the shepherd. And I don't think you ever get to a point where you're too good to learn from other people around you. Even the Apostle Paul, who started tons of churches and wrote much of the New Testament, said this in one of his letters to the church. In Romans 1, 11 through 13, he says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So even though Paul has something to offer to the, uh, to the church, he also knows that they have something to offer to him as well. We can all learn from one another in this process and be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. That's what community is. That's what it looks like to live inside the operating system of community, to be seeking to follow the shepherd together and encouraging and challenging one another along the way. And here's the other thing. Community isn't just about us finding our people and feeling supported. I really want that for you. I want that for everyone at Res City, to feel supported, to have their people um, who are with them and there for them. But there's also another part of community that involves bringing other people in. None of the practices that we've been talking about in this series are meant to be things that are just about you. If you're practicing them that way, then you might, it might not be, uh, you might not be practicing it the correct way. Uh, as we've been talking about this stuff, it's, it kind of falls under all these practices we've talked about. They fall under the banner of what people call spiritual formation. And there's a podcast I listened to where two pastors, uh, Pastor Tyler Satin and John Mark Comer, were talking about this idea of spiritual formation. And one of them said, spiritual formation is not just about spiritual wellness. Right? We're not talking about these practices just so that you can be a better version of yourself or so that you can feel better. Yes, I hope those things happen along the way, 
but that's not the sole purpose of what we're doing. God isn't just our cosmic therapist, right? He's our savior, he's our king, and he's our shepherd. And we are following him and his mission as we walk with him. And community is no different. It's not just for us. It's meant, not just meant to be closed off, and it's not meant to be something that is only with people that you already feel comfortable with or that you already know or people who are just like you and think and act just like you. It's not supposed to be like some kind of country club. It's meant to be a place where we can welcome in other people. And that's a huge need in our world right now. Loneliness, a lot of people in those research studies that talked about how loneliness is just as bad as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, they go as so far as to call loneliness an epidemic. It's something that so many people in our world experience and feel, and it's literally killing us. Famous author Kurt Vonnegut, uh, he's a guy who's known for writing kind of some more dark satirical stuff, but one time in an interview he said, uh, he was kind of asked questions like, you know, what should people be doing with their lives? Like, what do you think is, is the goal? And he said, what should young people do with their lives today? Many things, obviously. But the most daring thing is to create stable communities in which the terrible disease of loneliness can be cured. So he says, someone who's not a Christian, but someone who's been in this world and experienced what it's like to live here, says the most daring thing that we could do is to create stable communities where the terrible disease of loneliness can be cured. Many people in our lives, in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, they're craving community. And this is actually something that we as the church have to offer them. So why would we not invite people into it? It's a way for us to love our neighbors, to provide for their needs, and to eventually share the good news of Jesus with them. And I don't mean approaching it like some kind of project, right? Where like, I'm just going to get to know this person so that I can fix them or share the gospel with them or whatever. But getting to know people because they are also made in the image of God, just like we are. And they need community just like we do. And it's something that we can do to show God's love to the people in the world. And maybe you think, hold on. <laughs> One of the things that we've been talking about in this whole sermon series is about simplifying, right? Slowing down, not doing so much. And I already have a lot of relationships in my life. One of the things we also talked about when we talked about technology, it's great in that it allows us to connect with people who are not physically here with us, but it also creates a whole lot more relationships that we might feel pressure to keep up with uh, and to connect with. And so you may be thinking, I don't have time to add more people into my community or to go out and show love to people by you know, becoming friends with them. Why should I continue to do this if I'm also trying to slow down? And I think that's true. I think we have to make hard decisions about what it looks like and what relationships to really invest in. But it's a big priority for the shepherd that we invite other people in, and so I think it should be a big priority for us. In John 10, uh, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. 
Now, in this context, he's talking kind of about some the Jews and the Gentiles and how he's going to bring them together. But I think the point that Jesus has a desire for many people to be brought into the flock still is applicable to us today. God doesn't say, okay, how many sheep do I currently have? Let's count them. Okay, yeah, that's good. Let's cap it here. He has a desire for all to know him. And the church is a part of that mission to help other sheep come into the flock. And as I was thinking about this, I had two different stories come to mind. The first was that I have a friend who uh, once visited a church. And now I acknowledge that when you visit a church, pews are not the easiest place to figure out where to sit. Because, right, it was the question of like, do I sit on the end? And then what if people have to climb over me? But do I sit in the middle? And then what if people like want to sit on both sides? And how do I, you know, I get it's not the easiest way to figure out how to navigate a social situation when you're new. But my friend went to this church, and she decided she was going to sit in the middle of a pew because she didn't want to have to do the whole people climbing over her thing. And as she sat in the middle, people came in and sat on one side, and then later some more people came in and sat on the other side. And then those two groups of people proceeded to talk over her and connect with each other while they ignored the fact that she was there. They did not want to acknowledge her. They did not look at her. They just talked to one another right over the top of her. And she left that day feeling ignored and excluded and probably even more lonely than when she walked in. The second story that comes to my mind is a story that someone at Res City has shared with me. Uh, and it, it comes from when we were back at Hamlin Elementary, still meeting over there. And they said that one of the first times they came to Res City, they walked in. And they were in kind of a bad mood that morning for whatever reason. And they said, you know, I walked in. I just wanted to get my coffee, sit in the back, attend church, and leave. But of course, someone came up to me and started up a conversation. They introduced themselves, and they started talking. And he told me, he's like, at first I was like, why are people here so friendly? <laughs> this is annoying. Uh, and then, <laughs> But then he told me later, he's like, by the time I left, I felt like somebody wanted me to be there, right? Came in in a bad mood, wanted to sit by himself in the back. By the time he left, he felt included, he felt wanted, and he felt loved. So think about those two stories, and I think about how simple it is for us to reach out to someone, just to introduce ourselves, to say hello, and how big of a difference that can make in how someone leaves and how they feel. They can leave feeling lonely and like people don't even know that they're there. Or they can leave maybe a little annoyed that they didn't get to sit in silence, but at the end, they felt wanted. They felt included. They felt like it was something worth coming back to, something worth being a part of. And so I just think that it's, it's a small step for us to take, and yet it's something that can be so meaningful to someone because you never know what someone's going through or what they might be feeling. And as we think about opening up our community or including other people in, I think one of the common objections that comes up is, well, what about the relationships I already have? Right? How am I going to continue to have strong relationships with these people if I'm constantly bringing other people in or constantly reaching out to more people? Won't it be harder for us to grow or for us to have strong relationships if we're constantly putting our effort and our energy outward? 
And I think we have to go back to the nature of the church that I talked about in the beginning when Jesus says, I'll build my church upon the confession that he is the Messiah. The church isn't a social club. It's a group of people who are committed to following Jesus, and that means being committed to the mission of Jesus as well. And the cool thing about that, the cool thing about how God has made us, is that when we have a common goal together, in this case to see people uh, loved and to see them know and follow Jesus, to share the good news, it can actually bring us closer together. I'm sure you've been on a team or maybe in a production of some kind or a part of a group that had a common goal at some point in your life, and that experience of coming together around that common goal probably brought you closer together. I can think of tons of examples in my own life. I can also think of tons of examples in TV and movies, right? Like that's the premise of all of the feel-good films where it's like, this group of different people come together around a common goal and, you know, this beautiful thing happens, right? That's kind of the whole thing that we follow or that we watch. And so when we work together towards a common goal, when we come together, even though it might feel like, well, what if this hurts our relationships or what if this makes it harder? I think it'll actually bring us closer together because it gives us something bigger than ourselves to unite around. So if you think about our community being on a common goal to see the good news of Jesus shared, to see more people follow the Good Shepherd, and to see the kingdom brought here in St. Paul as it is in heaven, that can bring us together even more than if we decide to stay closed off. And as I wrap up this message this morning, I want us to return to the idea of the redwoods and their roots that grow outward, intertwining with, other, with each other, so that they can grow tall and strong. And I want us to think about what it could look like for us to imitate that type of growth, the type that reaches out outside of ourselves to include other people, to lean on other people, and to be involved in their lives. So what would it look like for you to reach out to someone in your neighborhood or at work and invite them to join you when your community group is hanging out or come to church even if they might say no, or even if it's awkward. But what would it look like to ask for help from your community? Even if you don't absolutely need it and you could probably muster up the strength to do it on your own, what would it look like to reach out to other people? Or what would it look like to not make the assumption that everybody else is probably already busy or everybody else already has their friends and take a first step towards community. Maybe that's joining a community group, or maybe that's reaching out to someone just to see if they want to hang out. Because if we want to grow, both as people and as a church, we need to let our roots grow outward. We need one another. It's how God created us, and he not only created us to be this way, but he actually lived this way himself. John 15, verses 12 through 13, this is Jesus speaking. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is what truly sets us apart as a community, right? Without Jesus's sacrificial love for us, we're just another social group hanging out. We're just people who get together on Sundays or get together during the week uh, just the same way that a, a softball team or, you know, a group of friends who just gather on a certain day. 
But with Jesus' love, with his sacrificial death on the cross and his resurrection, we have an identity that's rooted in the deepest type of love possible. When you really think about it, Jesus is the ultimate example of what it looks like to be like a redwood tree. In extending his arms on the cross in dying for everyone, including people who are different from him, people who hated him, and people who didn't deserve his love, he spread out his roots and created a way for a community to grow. He's the ultimate example of what it looks like to live like a redwood tree and that his roots of love are what keep us all tethered so that we can continue on in his mission and the church can grow tall. It's the support system that we all need and that we can join and become a part of, inviting others to join to continue to spread his love through loving one another and bringing more people into the fold. And although we live in a fallen world where relationships are broken and maybe you've been hurt or maybe you've hurt other people, Jesus died and rose again to restore those relationships. He restored us to himself, but he also restored us to one another. Ephesians says that he tore down the walls of hostility to make it possible for us to live in the context of community like we were originally intended to. Yes, it will be challenging at times, but with grace and forgiveness and the love that we have received from Jesus, we can do it. We can follow in his example of living uh, with the type of sacrificial love, the love that is greater, as Jesus says in this verse, than any other to lay down our lives for our friends. So whatever your next step might be, whether it's, uh, you know, joining a community group, or maybe it's just actually making the step to believe that Jesus is what he says he is and has done what he has done, to believe in his sacrificial love, that it's made a way for you to be restored to God and to restore to one another. Or maybe your next step is just reaching out to someone that God has put on your heart and in your mind this morning. So I invite you to listen to the Good Shepherd's leading uh, while I pray and as we transition into a time of worship through song. And just to think about and listen to what your next steps might be in regards to how to live in a community that spreads its roots outward and invites other people to join in as a part of that. And after after I pray, we're going to spend some time in worship, and we're also going to take communion together. And uh, communion is something that Scripture tells us is a communal act. It's something that we do when we're gathered together to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us, to remind ourselves of the mission of why we're here, why we get together. Uh, And it's also something that is a reminder that we're in this together. 1 Corinthians 10.17 says, Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. And I realize that it's kind of ironic because right now we're still using these single communion cups uh, because we're being uh, following where we're at at the times. But hopefully at one day we will be back to the symbolic uh, nature of all taking from one loaf as a reminder that we are all in this together. We're all part of one body in Christ. All right, I'm going to pray for us, and then we will transition into that time of worship and communion. If you don't have communion cups in the front of your pew, there are some extras up here as well if you need one. All right, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us the greatest example of love. You have shown us what true love is and that you were willing to uh, 
come here and live among us to die for our sins and for us and to rise again with victory over sin and death, that we could be made new and experience new life in you. So Lord, we thank you that you have given us this example. And we just pray this morning that we would be a community that continues to follow in your footsteps, that follows the paths of righteousness as sheep following the good shepherd uh, and who are willing to bear your image in, in the way that we love one another and, and the people who are both inside this community and outside of it. In your name we pray. Amen.